Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You could also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. Morning, Quad City. My name is Anthony. It's an honor to get to read through Scripture with you today. So, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those up, or use your Romans packet as we dive into Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. So, would you all stand with me as we read? Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we all will stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Romans. God, give us wisdom as we learn to accept that there are those whose faith is weaker than ours. And give us patience. And God, we want to live to honor you, for we know one day we will stand before your judgment seat. So give us the discernment and teach us through your word. Help us as we learn more and more about you. And we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, welcome. My name is Jason. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you. 
So glad that you're here today. I want to welcome all of those who are joining in online from whenever and wherever you are. So grateful to have you. Thankful you have decided to start your week by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian. want to welcome all of those out in Prescott Valley. We're so grateful for you as well. And just want to begin by saying Happy Mother's Day to all the moms uh, among us today. So grateful for you this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them on or turn them to Romans chapter 14. That's where we're going to begin today, Romans chapter 14. For those of you who are newcomers with us, we've actually spent the last several months working through the book of the Bible called Romans. And so we've made it all the way to chapter 14. And I want to begin today by sharing the big idea of our text this morning is this. What do you do when you realize not everyone believes like you? So what do you do when you realize not everyone believes like you? Now, I'm not talking about everybody out there in the world, the media, and the whatever. I'm not talking about that. We already know they believe different things. I'm talking about what do you do when you realize that people in the church, your brothers and sisters in Christ, the people in your life group, do not believe like you? What do you do when you realize that some of your most sincerely held beliefs related to matters of faith aren't shared by everybody in here and maybe not even shared by me? Like, what are you supposed to do with that? You you guys ready for this one? It's going to get a little dicey in here today. So buckle up. Let's dive in. This is what Paul has to say to us when we come to this realization. He says, accept the one whose faith is weak. So Paul, in this text over the next couple of weeks, actually, is going to divide us up into two camps, those with weak faith and those with strong faith. And I thought about doing a straw poll today to figure out which camp you thought you were in, but then I thought better of it because the reality is I think there's a lot more of us in the weak camp than we anticipate. And as we're going to see, this category, those with weak faith, are often the ones among us who are most passionate about what they believe, who seem to be the most righteous among us. Paul says, except those whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Now, I need to point out the obvious here real quick. When Paul says without quarreling over disputable matters, he reveals to us two really important truths. And the first one is that there are disputable matters. Like in the faith, there are disputable matters. There are parts of our faith and part of following Jesus that are disputable. There are gray areas that not everybody comes to the same realization on. There are doctrinal beliefs and practical practices that good, God-fearing, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing, spirit-filled followers of Jesus come to different conclusions on, okay? There are disputable matters. Now, the very fact that he's talking about disputable matters brings us to the second realization, and that is that there are some indisputable matters. Why would you talk about disputable matters if there weren't indisputable matters? So, the reason he's talking about disputable is because there are indisputable. 
And he says the disputable matters, they are not worth quabbling about, quarreling over. However, there are indisputable matters. And they are worth quarreling over. They are worth hashing out. They are worth fighting for. Now, there are two extremes when it comes to the church related to disputable matters. And the two extremes are, there are some who say that everything is a disputable matter. Like we can't really know anything for sure. It's all relative and whatever you believe, it's fine. As long as it's true for you, it's fine. All of it is disputable matters. So that's one extreme. The other extreme is there are no disputable matters. Like it is all black and white. It's, there are no disputable matters. And if you don't believe and behave exactly like me, then you're wrong. That's just it. If you think differently or if you act differently, then you can't be a part of the people of God because the people of God don't act like this. There are no gray areas. You're either with us or against us. So those are the two extremes. Everything is disputable or nothing is disputable. And Paul debunks both of them with this verse. He says, don't quarrel about disputable matters because there are some. There are some. So don't quarrel about them. And again, the fact that he addresses disputable matters specifically helps us to realize there are some indisputable matters, which begs the question, how do you know which matters are disputable and which matters are indisputable? How do you know? And that, my friend, is a disputable matter. (laughs) I wish I were kidding, but I'm not. There is not a concise list in Scripture that tells us these matters go into the disputable camp and these in the indisputable camp. It's just, it's just not in there. There's a part of this, so we got to kind of figure this out on our own. And Christians are all over the place about what goes in the disputable and what goes in the indisputable camps. In fact, our staff team, as we were working through this text together. There were eight of us and we literally yelled at each other for 45 minutes arguing about what goes in the disputable and not disputable camp. Like we couldn't figure it out. And there were only eight of us. Could you imagine 1500 people who make up Quad City trying to figure out what's in the disputable camp? No. What about 15,000 Christians in the Quad City? No, there's zero chance we're going to figure that out. And we live in the same community. What about 15 million people in, the, in America who are believers? No, there's no 150 million, 1.5 billion people in the world. Like there's zero chance that we're ever going to get to a concise list that we all agree on. There's part of it that we're just going to have to work with the spirit in ourselves to figure out what are the non-negotiables of the faith. One common way that this gets talked about is to begin thinking about these issues as closed hand versus open hand. So think about closed hand as the indisputable. These are the the most important things that we're going to hang on to, that we're going to fight for, that we're not going to let go of. These are the indisputable issues. And what you believe and how you behave related to these 
indisputable issues, these closed-hand issues, that is what determines whether or not we are actually brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay? Now, then you have the open hand. And these are the disputable matters. These are things that we hold on to loosely. We may agree, we may not agree. But they do not keep us from becoming brothers and sisters in Christ. These are the things we don't make a fuss over. Really what happens is that after we talk about them, we just roll our eyes at you and think, do they really believe that? Like that's what happens when you walk away, when it relates to these issues. Now, part of my job here at Quad City as the lead pastor is to both lead and pastor. And so I feel like I need to lead us a little bit and give you some directions when you're thinking about things in the closed hand versus things in the open hand. So I want to take a few minutes and share a few things from each of these hands, okay? In the closed hand, these are things that we as Quad City, our leadership, our pastors, our elders, these are things that we would put in the closed hand that Jesus is the eternal God in flesh, that Jesus is fully God and fully man, that God is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that God is the creator of heaven and earth, that Jesus died in our place and for our sins, that he was raised back to life and is alive right now, that he is coming back to judge the living and the dead, that we are saved by grace through faith, that heaven and hell are real, everyone is going to spend eternity somewhere. Like, this is not an exhaustive list by any means, but it is, it is an example of the things that we would say are not disputable. Like, for us to say that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, we got to be hanging on to these things together, okay? We, we have to. But there are other things that are in the open hand, okay, that are disputable. Things that we would put in the open hand would be things like eschatology. That's a fancy word for the study of end times, okay? When and how is Jesus coming back? Closed hand, Jesus is coming back. Open hand, when and how is Jesus coming back? When and how did God create the heavens and the earth. Closed hand, God created the heavens and the earth. When and how, that's disputable. We can talk about gender roles in church. Should women be pastors or elders? That's an open hand. We have brothers and sisters in Christ and other churches who believe differently than we do about those things. And it's okay, it's an open hand for us. Is everything determined, predetermined by God or do we have free will? That's open hand. Are the miraculous gifts of the Spirit still available for God's people today? How should churches be governed? Is it a Moses model where some man goes up on high and receives a word from the Lord and comes down and declares it over the people? Or is it, should it be elder-led? Or should it be congregational votes for everything? That's open hand. How should we take communion? What version of the Bible should you use? KJV only? There are churches who believe that. It's open hand. How do we make better disciples of Jesus? It is not closed hand. We make disciples of Jesus. That's the call. Open hand. How do we do that? Okay? So, those are some open hand. 
And apart from these doctrinal issues, there is a litany, hundreds, maybe thousands of very practical issues that we would put in the open hand. Like what kind of school should you send your kids to? Should you send them to public school or private school or Christian school or homeschool? Like you want to have a little fun, go into a woman's meeting, a a mother's meeting, drop that in the middle and just watch what happens. Like just sit back and enjoy your popcorn. It'll be a fireworks show. Like because what happens sometimes is we have a tendency to take things that are in the open hand and drag them over and stick them in the closed hand. What about tattoos? Are tattoos okay? What if it's a tattoo of a Bible verse? Does that give you an exemption, right? What about pot or an enjoying an edible in the evening? Like, is that okay? I mean, it's mostly legal now, right? Does that make it okay? Are there any Bible commands against it? What about drinking? Is it okay to have alcohol? How much alcohol? Is pot and alcohol in the same category? What about wearing hats in church? I actually had somebody come up to me a couple of weeks ago asking me about that one. What about political party affiliations? Can you worship with someone who has diametrically opposed political ideologies than you? Could you do life group with that person week after week? What about about doing yoga? Is it a spiritual practice or is it just super stretching? (laughs) And what about yoga pants? (laughs) Should you have to be doing yoga to wear yoga pants? Like these are all what we would put in the open hand category. These are disputable matters. Now here's the thing. I know, I know many of you have passionate views on these things. You have passionate opinions, strong opinions. But again, here's the question. If somebody disagrees with you, does that negate them being your brother and sister in Christ if they disagree about the disputable matters? For us, these are open hand issues. It doesn't mean they don't matter. They are important and many of them are very important. So what do we do? What do we do when we realize not everybody agrees with us on these matters? What do we do about disputable matters? So that's what Paul's going to address in our text. And he's going to do it today by giving us an example of a disputable matter that was happening in the church of Rome. And we're going to look at how he talks about that disputable matter. We'll see if we can make some application to our disputable matters. Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. And this, my friend, is why I do not eat vegetables. (laughs) Because it is a sign of people with weak faith. (laughs) I didn't write it. I'm just presenting the facts. So what's going on here? Let me give you a little bit of context. So in the church of Rome, it was primarily made up of two big groups of people. One was they were Jewish, first generation Jewish believers 
who came to know Jesus. And there were first-generation pagan believers who've come to know and love Jesus. None of these people came from a Christian family. They were either pagans or Jews that have come to know Christ and they're in this church together, okay? And so what you know about anything about Jewish people is you know diet is really, really important in the Jewish culture, okay? And when you come to faith, all of these things, whether you're Gentile coming out of a pagan culture or Jews coming out of a very religious culture, like those things don't just get stripped away in the baptistry. Like we bring those things with us. They are, they are part of who we are, their habits and hangups and worldviews that we all bring into our walk with Jesus. So for these Jewish people, they had, they grew up with, their parents and grandparents passed down a long list of things that you were not allowed to eat. Things like, like shrimp was on the no eat list and, and catfish and crawdads and no bacon, no pork chops, no pork ribs, no pork rinds, no ham, no pig of any kind. And also, no cheeseburgers. Can't have cheeseburger. You can have cheese and you can have a burger, but you can't put them together. Okay? That's a whole nother sermon for another day. There are lots of meat that was allowed to eat, but even if you got the right kind of meat, does not mean that right kind of meat is something you can eat. Because that right kind of meat had to be killed in the right way and had to be cooked in the right way. If it was killed in the wrong way or cooked in the wrong way, it would be a sin for you to eat that meat. Okay, And then you add that in the first century, every Roman city, like the city of Rome, had multiple temples in it to pagan gods, to all the Greek and Roman gods. And much of the meat that was sold in the marketplace was meat that was offered as a sacrifice to these pagan gods. You'd go offer your sacrifice to Zeus and you'd take your sacrifice, your, your cow, and bring it in and they would kill it and they would sacrifice, burn some of it up to the god and the rest of it gets sold at the market. And so for Jewish people, they were like, we can't be eating that kind of meat. Like, even if it's the right kind of meat, it could have a demon in it because this meat was offered to a pagan god as a part of a sacrifice to an idol. So, there was a lot that could go wrong with eating meat as a Jewish person. So, it seems that these Jewish Christians, they just quit eating meat altogether because they had lived the, their whole life with these rules around their meat. Now they just cannot shake the idea that this meat is tainted. So they give up all meat and they eat only vegetables. So, Think about this. They were actually refraining from the eating of meat in a desire to refrain from accidentally sinning against the Lord. That seems noble, doesn't it? And what does Paul call them? Weak. He says they're weak for doing that. Weak. Why are they weak? Because Jesus has already declared all food is clean. But for some reason, Jesus declaring meat clean wasn't enough for them. So they create for themselves stricter rules than Jesus does. And Paul says, you're weak for that. They aren't able to live in the liberty that Jesus has offered to them. But the other people whose faith is strong 
They have no problem with enjoying a BLT for brunch on the Sabbath. They're fine with that. One thinks it's wrong. The other thinks it's absolutely right. So how are these people who are both in the church, how are they supposed to act toward each other? He says, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God accepted, has accepted them. So when it comes to the disputable matters, the thing in the open hand, the one who enjoys the liberty has the tendency to look down on the one who does not enjoy the liberty. They often will look down on them with contempt. They look down and with contempt and they say about the one who cannot enjoy the liberty, oh, you're just a bold stick in the mud. You're just a legalist. That's why you won't eat the meat. You're just a legalist. You're out here creating rules that Jesus didn't even create. So they have strong contempt for those people. Now, on the other side, those whose faith is weak, those who cannot enjoy all the liberty that they have in Christ, They tend to look on those who do enjoy the liberty. They look on them with judgment. They judge them. Well, how could you do that? How could you eat that? How could you go there? How could you act like that? How could you participate in that? How could you drink one of those? How could you eat that? How could you vote that way? How could you believe like that? How could you practice that way? And of the two the weaker faith is usually louder, okay? Because oftentimes, what we do, the weaker faith is we take things out of the disputable category and we put it into the indisputable category. And so for them, it's not disputable. And they want to fight over it. It's closed-handed issue. To them, it's not a matter of opinion. It is fact. It's the only way. And thus, they feel vindicated in judging everyone who doesn't believe and behave exactly like they do. One shows contempt. The other judges. And Paul says they are both wrong. Why? Because God has accepted them both. These disputable matters aren't a, a matter of right and wrong. Neither one is sinning. Choosing to eat the meat isn't a sin. Choosing not to eat, it's not a sin. It's a disputable matter. Whichever side you fall on, it's it's okay. And the question for us becomes, okay, when it comes to these disputable matter, if God has accepted them, what right do you have to reject them? If God accepts them, what makes you think that you can reject them? If there's anything in you that says, I can't have fellowship with that person because of what they believe or behave as it relates to disputable matters, I don't see them as a brother or sister in Christ. I can't have fellowship with them. What you're saying in that moment is that you have a higher standard than God does. God may accept him, but I can't. I mean, he may go slumming around with people who believe and behave like that, but I would never. Anybody want to make that declaration today? If we agree about what's in the closed hand, then we should accept whatever comes out of the open hand. 
Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. That's important to note again. We are to judge one another related to the things in the closed hand. Like that's, we're called to do that. We are called to bring our brothers and sisters to confess and repent of sin. We are called to help each other fight for faith in Jesus. We are called to preach and proclaim the gospel with and for and over one another and to hold each other to account. These things that are in the closed hand, we are to, we are to judge each other for those things. But that's not what Paul's talking about. This is all about the open hand. Where the scripture clearly speaks, we clearly speak. But where he does not, where it's disputable, we don't argue about these things. That's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about these things that are disputable. And when it comes to disputable matters, what Paul says is, they don't answer to you. They're not your servants. And they'll stand before the Lord and they'll answer for how they dealt with these disputable matters, but they don't answer to you. So you don't need to judge them over these disputable matters. Wherever they land on it, they will either stand or fall before their master, Paul says. And then he adds, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Like, you think you got every one of these right? No, you don't. And that's okay. They don't have it either. But the Lord will make them stand because, because these are disputable matters. They don't answer to you and you don't have to answer to them when it comes to these disputable matters. So the point of the text is to so stop fighting about the disputable matters. Stop quarreling over the disputable matters. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. He gives us another example of this tension in the church in Rome. And that was over sacred days. He said, these Jewish people, they came in and they believed that from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, that was a sacred 24 hours. It was sacred. It was different. It wasn't like Tuesday afternoons. And others say, no, no, no. Jesus is God over all of it. They're all sacred. They're all the same. We live them all in honor of the Lord. Well, what about the holy days? There's Passover and Yom Kippur and, and the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of... Ta like all of these things, they are sacred. These are different. No, no, they're not. These, they're not different. God is the God of every day and we honor him with them all. And so there was these disputes among the people. And so now it's like the rhythm of the church is we don't worship on Saturday, we worship on Sunday because that's the day of the resurrection of Jesus. We call it the Lord's Day. That's when you worship. So the question, well, which one is right? Is it, should we worship on Saturday because it's sacred or Sunday because it's the Lord's Day? Which one? And the answer is whatever. It's a disputable matter. You can worship and should be worshiping every day. So whichever one you pick is fine. It's not a closed-handed issue. Now, it is interesting that Paul does not just dismiss it and say, don't sweat the small stuff. It's not the big idea. It's not what he says. Look what he says. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. 
When it comes to the disputable matters, he does not say you should be willy-nilly about this. He says you should be fully convinced. Fully convinced in your own mind. You need to worry about this. You should be thinking about this. You should be decisive on these things. You should be fully convinced in your own mind how you deal and how you feel about these disputable matters. Fully convinced. Convinced of what? Well, convinced that, one, you're not participating in any kind of sin, and convinced more than that, that you can actually do this, believe that, go there to the glory of God. Like, this is actually a part of your worship to the Lord. Look at this next text. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God. Whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So then whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Anybody catching a pattern here? Like the whole point of all of this, it says, can you do it to the Lord? Is this an act that you participate in for the glory of the Lord? In these disputable matters, this is the litmus test for us. Can I do this with conviction, fully convinced it's for the Lord? Can I drink alcohol to the Lord? Can I get a tattoo and believe that it's for the Lord? Can I send my kid to public school for the Lord? Can I keep my kid from public school to the glory of the Lord? Can I vote for this candidate with a clean conscience to the Lord? Can I do yoga to the Lord? Can I watch this show to the Lord? Can I sing this song for the Lord? Can I smoke whatever in worship and gratitude to the Lord? Am I fully convinced in my mind that what I'm believing and how I'm behaving as it relates to these disputable matters, that it honors the Lord. You should be fully convinced. Now again, I just need to say it out loud. We are not talking about what Scripture clearly calls sin. We're not talking about that. That's a closed-hand issue. You can't sin to the glory of God. That is indisputable. You cannot sin to the glory of God. That's not what we're talking about. But there are a lot of things that aren't called sin that may or, not, may, or may not be able to be done for you to the glory of the Lord. So what do you do? When you begin to realize that not everybody in here, not everybody a part of Quad City, not everybody sitting with you in PV today believes and behaves with the same convictions you do about everything in our faith. What do you do when you begin to realize you're sitting in a life group and there are people across the living room who think differently than you about some things that you're very passionate about? What do you do? walk up, shake the dust off and leave? What do you do? Let me give you three quick takeaways. Here's the first thing you do. 
you determine, is it a closed-hand issue or an open-hand issue? Like, that's, that's where you got to start. Is this a closed-hand issue? Is this the irreducible minimum of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus and a brother or sister in Christ? Is this a closed-hand issue? Or is this one of the disputable matters that we can agree to disagree on? Now, what if it is a disputable matter? What do you do? Here's the second thing. If it's an open-hand issue, then have a conversation without quarreling. Like we should be able to have conversations and begin to realize, oh, it's okay, you believe something different about this? That's all right. Help me understand where you come from. Tell me, why is it that you believe that? This is the conclusions I've come to. Help me understand how, because here's, here's what may happen. I know this may sound crazy. They may actually share something with you that helps you understand that you were wrong. <laughs> I know it's crazy to think that way, but it could happen. Like there may be some disputable matters that you actually got wrong and hearing their story may help you begin to understand and change your point of view. Like, so have a conversation without quarreling. Like you don't need to convince them that you're right or prove to them that they are wrong. Just have a conversation. And then lastly, if you get to the place where the conversation isn't helpful and you begin to realize, oh, actually we're just still at, we're on opposite ends of this and we're not going to come together. That's okay because at the end of the day, number three is remember, ultimately they answer to God, not to you. They don't answer to you. They're not your servants. They have a master and you're not it. And so it's okay if they come to a different conclusion as it relates to these disputable matters. There's a saying that our brotherhood of churches have passed down for a really long time that fits perfectly with what we're trying to say here today. And the saying goes like this. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, love. In essentials, in the closed hand, we have to have unity. These are the important things. We can't really actually be brothers and sisters in Christ if we're not with this. This has to be, we have to be united. But in non-essentials, we can have liberty. We don't have to have uniformity in the non-essentials, in the open-handed issues. But no matter what, we're always going to act in love toward everyone whether they believe like we do, behave like we do, or if they just live differently in the disputable matters. We're always going to act in love. In essentials, unity, non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, love. The last thing that I will say is that you should probably tune into the podcast this week because no doubt it's going to get spicy. <laughs> Father God, thank you for your word. Thanks for giving us direction to help us distinguish the most important things from our opinions. And I pray that you'd make it clear to us what needs to go into each of those buckets. Thanks for our time together. Thank you for uniting us around the truth of who Jesus is. And may we, may we repent of longing for and looking for and expecting uniformity in the things that are in the open hand. May our church and may your church globally find unity in what matters most. In Christ we pray, amen.
Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.